So, we're in the middle of a sermon series on community. And we started where you should probably start everything with God himself. So I had a little slide for you I want you to keep looking at. This was a symbol of the Trinity if you were here last week, and go listen to it if you need a little more explanation of it. Um, Three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, both distinct and one thing, equal in power and glory. And now we're pivoting towards the way we live out our community together. It is from the very nature of God, the three persons of the Trinity, that all community flows. And so what we're doing in these first two weeks is establishing that God is community and establishing that we are community, that he is three in one, and we are all members of one. Let me start with a few quotations. I hope that um, they spark a sense of humility and wonder. I hope they might spark a sense of, uh, that doesn't sound exactly like I think it should sound. Because I think that what we are addressing today is the hard reality that it is really hard for us to understand that we are one body. A sense among you that feels like you and me have a lot to learn about the church being a community in which God dwells. We are together in that. Cyprian is a bishop who died in like 250-something. He said these words, There is no salvation outside the church. He went on to say, He can no longer have God for his father who does not have the church as his mother. Pastor G, that sounds very high churchy. Somewhere near the line of cultish. Kind of like a ploy to keep the masses loyal to the institution. Plus it sounds Catholic. Aren't we Presbyterians? So I give you Martin Luther. He's kind of famous in the whole Reformation Protestant thing. Outside of the Christian church, he even says it more starkly, there is no truth, no Christ, no salvation. Calvin, about 50 years later, is a little bit more nuanced, but not that much. Beyond the pale of the church, no forgiveness of sins, no salvation can be hoped for. And then you get to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and another 50, 60 years later, the Westminster Confession of Faith is what our denomination holds to, what all of our elders and deacons uh, vow to. And it says this about the church, the visible church, which is also the visible church, which is also the Catholic or universal church under the gospel, not confined to one nation, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and their children. And is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Both Protestant and Catholics alike agree, not on all the fine points, but they agree that there's something about being the church in recognizing our oneness that is intimately tied to God's plan of salvation. My desire in this <clears throat> excuse me, part of the sermon series 
as I'm praying and I've been working, you guys, I wrote 8,500 words this week. Sermons need to be about 22 to 2,400 words. There is a lot of metaphorical paper. Hopefully it'll show up in the next few sermon series and I don't have to waste it, but you know, it's the cost of doing business. Or we could stay till three and I can whip that part back out. <laughs> but it is that we as a church would embrace this communal ident- identity, cherish it. At the very core of who we feel like we are, or who we experience uh, God in, in our own kind of individual lives, but also we as a community would do the same. I'm going to reference the, the philosophy of ministry tree again. It's out back if you want it. It's in the... the vestibule, foyer, whatever you call that thing. And it says there, God's grace grows us, dot, 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 together. It's a double entendre. It grows us together, and it grows us together. It says, we desire to function as a body rather than mere individuals, sharing our joys and sorrows and reminding one another of God's grace. And I would add, and God's grace to the world. But that's a separate, separate thing on the philosophy of ministry. Now I want to show you another slide, and I want you to like memorize this in 10 seconds. All right, you got it? Okay, perfect. This is a, a, a chart I use when I teach the elders, deacons, and women's council in terms of the leadership training. It's a chart from Paul Minier. There are 96 descriptions of the people of God that Scripture uses. To get at the fact that the persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, have made us a single thing. Like they are a community, we are one in community. You got it? There'll be a test at the end. The reality of us being one of many is so mind-blowing that the scriptures themselves have 96 different metaphors for it. In order to get our hearts and hands, our minds and feet around the reality. I've chosen two metaphors to work through this morning. One from the Mr. Potato Head passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and then the other one on 1 Peter, one of my top favorite verses, about being living stones in a living temple. And then another place in Corinthians that will sum it all up. We won't be able to explore the passages fully because I'm already seven minutes in. But I think we can get the gist that at least two of the metaphors have us as a body and a building, a body and a temple. So let's start with the the body part. As I explained to the kids, which they got, by the way, wonderful. He summarizes after he does all his little talk about ears and eyes and noses and all that other stuff. He says, there are many parts, yet one body. In the very fabric of our existence, of being in Christ, we are one entity, one living organism, one body. Other places in Scripture says the body of Christ himself. We could end the sermon there and just mull on it and talk about it. Look around you, like literally, not rhetorically. They are you, and you are part of the it that we are together. 
And when you drive home today or around this town anytime during the week, you're going to pass a bunch of churches because this is where we live. Think to yourself or say it out loud. Hey, y'all, I'm part of you. You're a part of me. God lives in us together. Please do not think that I am naive about division and genuine disagreement or even theological error, error or the reality of heresy. There are real times which we must make distinctions in both our beliefs and our practices. But anyone who holds that Jesus is the Lord and holds to the ancient creeds like the Nicene or Apostles' Creed, you are one with them. Whether you like it or not, all of our churches are chock full of folly. Westminster says it itself, grave error in many times in, in centuries. But we are one. Now, we're one, but we're also many. We don't need to expect sameness in our different parts. We certainly don't need to harbor resentment about most of our differences. Every part is essential. Every part should be cherished. Look, I know most of you don't like your feet. Some of you are like, I do like my feet. That's all right. Love them. Love your feet. But feet are awesome and necessary. And the problem with your feet might be your eyes looking at your feet, judging them. That's what Paul is doing when he talks about the hands, the eyes, the ears, the nose. He's basically saying, don't, don't spite your nose to cut off your body. And since we are one body, we must live as who we are. Hear me, I did not say we must work together to become something we should be. The church is one like the Trinity is one. Our Lord Jesus is one with the Father and the Spirit. They don't have to work to become one. And he created a mirror institution called the body, in this case, the church, as one. Same with us. We don't need to become one. We just need to stop living like we aren't one. This perspective is vital, both for your individual growth and our work in the city and the world. Cross-cultural workers get this the whole time, especially in places populated by mostly, uh, by where they're the vast minority uh, of, uh, of faith. They're all like, oh yeah, we fuss about this and this back in the States, but when we're over here, we're all good. Jesus is Lord, we're good, let's go. When we see division and judgment and competition within Redeemer or among other churches, when we see so little cooperation in or among other churches, then we are witnessing us living in opposition to our true nature. This is what requires a deep urgency, to acknowledge our failures, to our, accept our one-bodiness, and live accordingly. It gives a high priority to working across the pews at Redeemer and across the steeples of the city. You've heard me say it a thousand times, navigate differences. I am not saying there aren't differences. That's why we got to navigate them. And I'm not saying there aren't essential differences. There are. But here's the gut check. What I'm trying to say is division 
is not a sin of omission or neglect because we already are one. It's a sin of commission or actively undoing what God has done. And so we and they, the other, the other churches, we, we, we must return to our gracious God who is both gracious and full of truth and, use, and, and, and come to him for grace to forgive our deep divisions and sin and then grace to fuel us to our true nature. We must collapse into the Father, Son, and Spirit and let the life of that Trinitarian God empower us to live out what he created in us. Community is weaved into the fabric of God and it is weaved into the fabric of God's people. It is essential, ontological. It is the very essence of things. I know this is hard, and I know some of you are going, well, but what about, what, you know, you know them Christ, uh, other Christians? And I'm going, yep, I do. So maybe long conversations with navigating are necessary. And I'm not going to talk about, about that, because I want to capture your imagination of what is true and what is real. We can talk about strategy later. So I'm moving from body to the building, the temple that he talks about. It's 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, our Lord Jesus Christ is who Peter's talking about, a living stone, living stone means that he was dead and raised to life. Resurrection's a big theme in 1 Peter, so I'm not just adding that in. He was rejected by men, but in, sight, in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. You yourselves, like little living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, could be translated house of the Spirit. You have the Trinitarian reality in the first two verses. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable, God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Peter says, Old Testament Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So our connection to this cornerstone is a shameless existence because he's been rejected by men, but now is a resurrected living stone. Guess what? You cannot be connected to the cornerstone without being built up into a building. Or you're just a stone on the lot called a stumbling stone. I've preached this passage a half dozen times. I wrote my final seminary paper on this passage. I love it like an old friend. I'm not going to get all the way through it, but suffice it to say, we can work this metaphor together for a little while. Peter, whose nickname is Rock or Stone, Cephas, writes to the regional churches in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, which would have included rich and poor, the powerful and the weak. They were ostracized in the beginning of being uh, persecuted. They were Jewish converts and Gentiles alike. And he says to them, as you come to him, this living stone, rejected by men, this one who, is, who God sees as precious and chosen, he's, he's, he's starting with God, like we tried to do last week. That 
that Jesus is the bedrock of our identity and oneness. And he builds us up into him because he is beloved by God into this spiritual house. Trinitarian again. The Trinity, the, the, the Christian community is tied to God as community. Three in one, many stones living on the cornerstone. The reason we have community like this is because we're united to Christ in his community in the Trinity. That's called union with Christ. And John Murray says it is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And Louis Burkhoff goes on to say, the int- it is the intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in which the Trinity is the source of their, his people's, life and strength of their blessedness, salvation, and identity. That's why Peter's able to say, you yourselves are living stones being built up in a spiritual house. That's temple language. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are vivified stones that form a spiritual home, the temple. To come to Jesus is to come to be part of the church. Because that's how God built it. We are a spiritual structure united to Jesus with him at the cornerstone. God loves Duplo blocks and Legos. And that's what we are in his hand as he puts it on the cornerstone, the living cornerstone of Jesus, and just starts a building. Maybe Minecraft, that could work too. This plan of God, this oneness project, this new humanity, new people, body, uh, temple, building, house, 90, I could keep going, like 89 other times. What Peter is so amazed by is that these people, and Peter struggled with this, y'all. Peter thought other people, Gentiles, were disgusting. Like, literally disgusting. And he's marveling that the people who would naturally war against each other are now built together to be a spiritual house of praise, of sacrifice, and love, and goes on to say mercy. And he ends the whole passage by pulling back to that Deuteronomy passage that describes what Israel is in one of the most essential parts of the Old Testament. He says, you now, church, of all these ragtag people that shouldn't like each other, you, not defined by ethnicity or cultural or even uh, previous religious experiences, you, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you knew no mercy, you received no mercy, but now you have received mercy. The cornerstone of Jesus Christ means that we are a people who receive Christ's mercy, the defining characteristic. Amen. So we lay down our natural anger, hatred, and weaponry against each other. We become this living temple. People who were dead in sin alone, who are now alive in him together. G.G.K. Chesterton, I'm going to change the language here a little bit for young ears, said that every man who walks into a house of ill repute is looking for God and a family. 
And what God provides as being living stones built up into a temple is a God and a family. We have received his mercy so that we might bring mercy to the world. The last passage I'm going to talk about. Your body is a temple. Every Christian nutritionist, addiction therapist, and workout regimen uses this verse. I don't think they're using it wrongly. All I'm saying is that in our hyper-individualized culture, that that culture has so permeated the way we see Scripture that we can't even hear or see what else is being said in that. That we often miss the other point in this passage. Corinth is one of the major urban centers of the ancient world. One of the most uh, socio-cultural, economically diverse cities of the Roman Empire, which was a diverse empire. Trade routes, all that stuff. It's in Greece, boats, you know. The context of 1 Corinthians is division in the church and immorality, specifically sexual immorality. Division, if you read the first part, it's like, some of you follow Paul, some of you follow Apollo, some of you follow Peter. Paul has to tell them to stop suing each other. We got division in the church. And yet it's also about our physical bodies. Sexual sin was rampant and sometimes celebrated in the church. And he does specifically say that our individual bodies hold the Spirit. So that's why everything was right about the things I said earlier. And amen to that. But this verse actually tackles all those things at one time. Which may mean that we need to adjust some of our thoughts to this. Not just from the personal and the private, but the collective of one another in this. So the regular English translation reading... They all go something like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom, God, uh, whom, whom you have from God or were given from God? You are not your own, for you are brought with a, bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now I'm going to read to you the GSV, the Giorgio Standard Version, or the SSV, the Southern Standard Version, now, I cannot claim to be a Southerner. My mother was born in Italy. My dad was born, I was born in West Germany because that was a place at one point. My father was born in Hawaii before it was a state. So for me to claim a Southern version, I know my generationally Southern wife is probably rolling her eyes right now, or at least looking with some suspicion. So this might be a little bit of a cultural appropriation, but it's done with deepest respect, bless my heart. Seriously, I'm reading this passage to give you an impact on how an original audience not so hyper-individualized would have heard it. And that so you can start thinking and dreaming as one body, as one building. So here you go, the SSV. Did y'all know y'all's body, singular, is a temple singular, of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is within y'all, God gave this to all y'all. All y'all is plural, plural. It's wonderful. All y'all are not y'all's own. 
Because you were bought with a price, singular, our Lord Jesus' blood. So y'all glorify God in y'all's singular body. That's literally what the scriptures say. Now I'm only going to conclude with a few applications. Several applications. Every time you look down at another church or look up to another one, don't hate your body. You were bought with a price. Imagine the genuine faith of so many in those other congregations and celebrate it. Make it a deep affection for all those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus who were not recipients of mercy, but now are recipients of mercy. Two, ask God, the Father, Son, and Spirit to rid you of the thoughts that you're following Jesus, your own spiritual growth, your discipleship is fundamentally private responsibility with personal decisions. Three, be freed into this reality that it doesn't depend on just your personal and private character to make personal and private decisions about personal and private issues. Christianity is a team sport. It takes a church to raise a Christian. Christianity is fundamentally and foundationally communal by essence. Four, embrace the community, the body, and the building, the temple that we are, that you get to be a part of it. If you are imagining Christianity or sanctification or virtue or holiness right now, and it doesn't include the sanctification, virtue, and holiness of everyone else in the room, you're missing it just a hair, and you need to bring it back. Number five, don't go home and try to figure this out on your own. Because one of two things is going to happen. You will think you figured it out on your own, and then you're going to be judging and impossible to be with all the other people who haven't figured it out on their own. Or two, you're not going to figure it out on your own. You're going to feel worthless, and you're like, well, I'm like the the small toe of the body, and I don't even know if I belong. We figured this out together. Six, get aggressive in your eradication of hyper-individualized Christianity. Individualism is a modern parasite on the church and our life together and the world. Orient your eye to a we. Think about the church, the whole church, and our church in a way that you think about a sports team. When one messes up, we all do push-ups. And when we win, if somebody catches that touchdown pass, we always all get the win. Seven. There's only eight. Only eight. <laughs> Celebrate the hands and the ears and the eyes and noses around you. Get giddy about how we are different in the world. Enjoy it. Our oneness is not unanimity. We are not the Borg. Trekkie, shout out. Oneness doesn't mean 100% of Christians or Redeemerites or Winston-Salem Christians have to agree on 100% of the stuff 100% of the time. I, if you don't believe me, think about the reality of the Trinity where, where the, the holy second person of the Trinity, Jesus, 
asked the father in the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, I'm not loving this strategy. Can we talk about doing something different? Now, there's submission and yielding and truth and all that stuff, but that's given to us as a gift. Eight, lastly, never forget this is all born out of the triune love of God and the grace he has come to bestow on his people. The Father authored it, the Son accomplished it, the Spirit has applied it. We don't sing in unison, we sing in harmonies, but Jesus always gets that top-line melody. And we make our way singing towards that. This is hard stuff, y'all. We might mess up, but maybe a couple times might be mess up to be more united than more divided. Maybe we could swing that pendulum a bit. In my previous church, Christ Central, we called it rather crudely the grace cage match. You go in, maybe it's a Charlotte wrestling WWE kind of thing, but you know, whatever. But we'd say, get in the ring, and no one gets out until we're utterly exhausted, know our sin, know his grace, we lose, Jesus wins, which makes us win in the end. Just keep at it. We don't agree to disagree forever. We might have to take some time out but we don't agree to disagree forever. Lastly, with quote, a quote from Bonhoeffer, to sum it all up, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more all the things between us recede. The more clearly and purely we see Jesus Christ and his works as the only one and only thing that is vital between us, we find peace, and we find we have one another only through Christ, but through Christ, we have one another holy and holy for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are one. Help us live out of it. There's so much that fights against it. Help us, we pray. In your name, amen.